Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game of me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. How are you, Kieran? I'm okay, Kevin, but I've had a few barbecue lighting issues today, oh which, is, which is why, this is why we've had to delay the show. Uh, I just, just couldn't get me colds going, which is which is unheard of, but uh, all's well that ends well. Kieran, I was, I was given to believe that we'd, we'd, not that people at home care about the fact that we delayed the recording till the evening time, Kieran, I, I assumed it was down to the usual media commitments, but it, no, it turns out the barbecue couldn't be lit. Why was, <laughs> it's, it's, how embarrassing for the alpha male of the house. <laughs> with his, uh, his, his old-fashioned 1970s barbecue apron and his tongs. Uh, uh, well, talking the summer, Kieran, you may notice I'm, I'm feeling slightly chipper because yeah, yesterday was the longest day. So it's it's all downhill till Christmas now. So uh, it's, it's we're over the hump. Apologies to listeners in Australia when it calls it's all uphill to summer. You have my sympathy, <laughs> but I think people in Australia have got other things on their mind at the moment, celebration-wise. So, um, also, we have to be a little bit quiet. This is really strange. This is what modern showbiz has come to. I'm I'm downstairs recording an award-winning uh, podcast, Kieran, and my son mm-hmm. is upstairs recording an award-winning live stream Dungeons and Dragons game. Wow. I know. And so we've both agreed to keep our voices down. We're both, I think, at heart slightly embarrassed by what we're doing with our lives. Um, but he's, made, he's making a lot, of, a lot more money out of live, live thieving than we are out of this. But it's, it's Newsday, Kieran. We have a lot of news stories. Um, one of them, I think, is a, a full-on 100% hurrah, I'm hoping, um, but there's a couple of conspiracy theories that I sort of master. So the first one, Kieran, we saw <laughs> what looked like suspicious goings on between Saudi Arabia and, and, and Chelsea. Saudi Arabia suddenly buying three, four, five, two hundred Chelsea players, depending on who you believe, and a lot of people are putting two and two together and coming up with FFP. Yeah, I, th- I think we've gone the <clears throat> the full fake moon landings on this <laughs> from from some quarters, including Gary Neville. By the way, he's oh, really? he's, he's got quite excited about it. Um, <clears throat> for for those not familiar, um, we, we've seen Ungolo Kante go to Saudi Arabia, but he was on a uh, he was on a Bosman, so there, there's no benefit to Chelsea for that, and he's got he's right. gone to to maximise his his income. Um, I think it's fair to say that Chelsea have spent an awful lot of money 
And we don't know the extent of their financial fair play situation simply because the, the Premier League, and it doesn't help itself at times, is being very, very coy as to what clubs have been allowed in respect of COVID um, and also how they're going to deal with the elephant in the room, which was the government sanctions of the club uh, during the end of the end of last season, yeah. when when Roman Abramovich was initially nominally the owner, then he had his assets frozen. The club were unable to sell tickets; they were unable to sell merchandise. It, it all got quite murky. So nobody really knows the the FFP situation. Yet they have gone out and signed uh, a new striker. Um, so who that deal is going to kick in? That's a squeaky armadillo, people. For if you, in case you're wondering. <laughs> It's maybe an award-winning show, but it's not a BAFTA-winning show. Um, <coughs> well, we, we, if, it, if it comes to a choice between Finlay and the BAFTA, Kieran, we're keeping Finlay, let's face it. <laughs> yes. Was Finlay helping when you were having trouble lighting the uh, the old macho barbecue? <laughs> he, he, was, uh, he, he, was, he was looking very confused. Very confused indeed. Not as confused as me. <laughs> um, but it, it looks as if Chelsea potentially could be selling three or four players who are surplus to requirements as far as the squad is concerned. And I think there's two issues here. A, um, when are the deals going to take place? Because Chelsea's year end is the 30th of June. So therefore, you want to get the profits from player sales in there. Um, and, and then people say, well, well, hold on. These players are going to be paid an absolute fortune. So therefore, presumably, the uh, Saudi Arabian teams, you know, many of which are, are owned by uh, Saudi Arabian Public Investment Fund, they're going to be paying over the odds. And then people started to sort of do a bit of a crumb trial. I said, well, a yeah, public investment fund invests in lots of places. America is one of lots of places. Mm. Chelsea are owned 60% by a company called Clear Lake Capital, which is effectively a private equity company. Um, the private equity company hasn't detailed who its shareholders are. Therefore, PIF could be a shareholder of Clear Lake Capital who own Chelsea, who need to make money. So they sell the players at inflated prices to Saudi Arabia. And you go, well, it could be, but there's there's a number of issues here. First of all, most private equity companies allow uh, allow no one investor to own more than 1% because they, oh, they want okay. to, to spread the risk. Right. So so the, the amount of influence that the PIF would have, I think, is, is fairly negligible. Um, secondly, and, and we, we think we mentioned this the other day, the Premier League does have a rule where all transactions, including player transfers, have to be assessed at fair value. So if somebody comes in, and says, you know, we're going to pay two hundred million pounds for Romelu Lukaku. Uh, people go, well, that's that's clearly that's going to be bonkers because you know Chelsea bought him for ninety seven. Um, it, it hasn't worked out in the two years that he's been there. He's two years older. That wouldn't be crazy. Um, yeah, and, and also, I think we, if you can do that conspiracy theory, you have to go, well, okay, Chelsea, yeah. You know, Somebody persuaded you to pay sixty-two million pounds for Mark Kukurea, um, <laughs> and, and that passed. And nobody, nobody was alledging um, you were. Uh, and, and he, <laughs> you were. Well, you, this must be a reason why you, you can't let it go, Kieran. 
Well, but no, but, you know, it, I think there's, there's there's another accusation that uh, Todd Bowley has been seen in Saudi Arabia, but he's he's got business interest there. So you know, the idea that there's this uh, uh, sort of Illuminati when it comes to player transfers. Um, and that uh, Saudi Arabia were behind it. It, it. Let's face it, if Saudi Arabia actually just wanted to buy football, they can now afford to buy football yeah. full stop. Why Why go through all of this particular palaver? So um, I, I, I take it personally with a very big dose of salt. Um, Chelsea need to sell players. Saudi Arabian clubs want to buy players. They want to make a statement. Um, you bring the two together. Five or six years ago, the Chinese Super League wanted to buy players. Chelsea were looking to sell players. So Ramirez and Oscar both went to the Chinese Super League on what looked to be very, very big prices. But nobody was accusing uh, anybody of you know uh, grassy knoll-related activities then. So I can't quite understand why it's taking place. Or have we simply transformed ourselves over the course of the last sort of six or seven years into everybody's as conspiracy theorists these days. That's, it, it's one of the reasons I love football fans, Kieran. Saudi Arabian clubs buy free players from Chelsea. Therefore, UEFA must get involved because it's quite obvious that Saudi Arabia have a secret stake in Chelsea. Todd Bowley couldn't have afforded it on his own. He's only a billionaire, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, you want conspiracy theories, Kieran. Who is it that Brighton have got in the first game of the season? Luton Town. Yeah, at home? Yes. Yeah, of course, because the Premier League want Brighton in, in, in the Champions League because everyone at the Premier League lives in Sussex. That's, ah, right, okay. If you want a proper conspiracy theory, Kieran, that, that, I, one, I, that I one will thought, stand up. I and thought a, that was more to do with Luton won't have the uh, development at Kenilworth Road finished and therefore they've asked the Premier League for an away game to start their season. Yeah, there's uh, eighteen other clubs. Eighteen other clubs in the Premier League, Kieran. They could have been drawn away to anyone. Just a quick tap on the side of the computer, just whisper in the ear, tell them when they want Brighton to finish. That's a conspiracy view that holds water. <laughs> now, this next story, Kieran. Um, I was uh, in Bath last night with my wife, and we were staying with one of her oldest friends, who's a proper revolutionary communist from Wigan. Um, so I'm hoping that this is actually proper good news for my revolutionary communist from Wigan friend. This is uh, proper good news. Right. And um, I'm going to give a lot of credit to a lot of people because this deal went through very, very quickly. We, we know that there's been issues, and I've been very critical of the upper echelons of Wigan. Wages have not been paid. Um, somebody needs to take responsibility for it. So... Um, yeah, we've got the the original owner of of, Wink, of Wigan, um, who says I, I, I need to get rid of the club. Yeah, I, I can't I can't afford to carry this on. So he wasn't in the position to to argue much, but he didn't argue much. Yeah, he, he didn't try to put up any barriers. Um, we've got a new company that's taken over uh, called Community, Community Hold Co. Twenty Twenty Three, and they got a deal through in less than a week. Yeah, and you might be saying, well, well hold on, yeah, well, wasn't wasn't that lad from Solihull trying to buy the club? And why did yeah, why why didn't he manage to get it sorted? And, and the reason for it is is as simple as this. Um the people behind Community Hold Co. 2023, they went to the EFL and said, We've got a load of cash. Here's phone up our bank manager. The bank manager will confirm you've got the we've got the cash. 
And the EFL says, you've got the cash, you've got the deal, you've given us a budget, let's let's just go through. So, so the EFL, fair play to them, they've worked their socks off. Um, the new owners, they've worked their socks off. Give credit to Lisa Nandy. You know, she's sort of tried to you know, get the, get parties together. Um, she deserves credit. The fans, the, the fan groups deserve credit. Um, everybody has has worked for the best. And the uh, the so called billionaire who's made his money from soft drinks, which appear to be imaginary soft drinks, has neither bought Wigan Athletic nor has bought. Morecambe Football Club, yeah. despite being linked with both clubs. This shows if you want to get a deal done, show me the money and it gets done. Uh, remind this question, uh, remind this question, remind us, Kieran, um, uh, for some of our listeners, who Lisa and Andy is, first of all. And secondly, is Community Hold Co. an existing company or a company that's been put into operation to buy Wigan? Um, Lisa Nandy is the local member of parliament for Wigan. Yep. Community Hold Go 2023 was set up a few days before the deal. Um, it's, it's owned by oh, I forgot, uh, Mike Danson, I think it is, yeah. um, who I think he owns the Spectator and he owns 25% of Wigan Warriors right. Rugby okay. League Club. So so he is local. Um it's 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 great news. You know, we've we've got a Wigan. We've got the people being paid. Yes, they're going to start the season on minus eight points, but you know that's that's what happens if you don't pay wages. You know, it's, mm. it's a risk that you run. But he's he's not he's not tried to uh, have have the EFL on strings and delay things to, uh, to 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 try to deal with that. He just said, right, let's get it done, um, and hopefully it, it's a return to the days of Dave Whelan. Yeah, fingers crossed. Unfortunately, Kieran, for every um, good news story we have, which um, every problem solved leaves a vacuum and there's always another club ready to step into it. And unfortunately, I, I think a lot of our listeners can guess which club that is. Um, and the fans of that club as well are getting very, very upset and vociferous now as well, Kieran, aren't they? Yes. So we are talking about Reading, um, yeah. who were also deducted points uh, last season uh, by the EFL. That was for non-compliance with a business plan. Um, but Reading have now been charged by the EFL for late payment of wages on three occasions in 22-23. Now, we don't know when the Independent Commission is, is going to take place to uh, rule with regards to this, but we do have precedent. And sadly, the precedent is Wigan, yeah, um, and yeah. Wigan ended up with significant points deductions. So I think that's a genuine threat as far as uh, Reading are concerned. So they'll either be starting the season or potentially could be starting the season um, or with with a points deduction, or they'll have one to look forward to. Um, you're absolutely right. The, the fans have now reached the point where they're completely hacked off. That's fully understandable. They want news. They've effectively got an absentee owner who uh, doesn't communicate, um, who's affected, who has put in to the club somebody who's who's nothing more than a nodding dog, who will just parrot the sort of indirectly the, the views of the owner. Um, so, yeah, not good news for Reading. Uh, we need clarity. I, I, I've been on the local radio station. I've spoken to the local newspaper. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm getting nothing but negative vibes um, at the present. But as we've seen in the case of Wigan, you know, whilst there's life, there's hope. Um, so don't give up, Reading fans. Um, if you know, if somebody's there who who wants to 
get a deal done. They can get that deal done very quickly. You know, but, you know, I'm sure they may have read that the Manchester United deal, for, for example, which is, let's face it, has dragged on for a ridiculous amount of time. Um, they're now talking, even if you have a preferred bidder announced by the Glazer family, which was should have been taking place ages ago, you're still looking at another eight to 12 weeks. Well, that doesn't have to be the case. Um, if you've got cash, you can get a deal done. I have to say, Kieran, you've, you've worried me slightly there when you talk about um, don't give a hope, up hope. Yeah, that makes it sound a little bit more pessimistic than even I thought it was. Um, it would be interesting to hear from some of those Reading fans who are getting themselves organised as well. But there are other parallels with, with Reading, Kieran, because I remember talking to John Medeski, who didn't have quite the same uh, emotional attachment to the club as, as, say, Dave Whelan had at Wigan, but was a... Uh, a committed and and stable owner of the club for quite mm. some time. Then I remember talking to the new young Russian guy who took over, who had very big plans. Uh, and you know, so you, you walk away from uh, the Madstad ten years ago, thinking this is a club on the up, and then here we are, and it's chaos and very bad news. Yeah, you're you're, ab- you're absolutely right. It, it 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 only takes one bad person to ruin a football club. Mm. Um, and that's why an independent regulator of football might be able to help because anything, and, and you know, I've said, I think the EFL do a really good job. Um, anything which assists in identifying that one bad person or sets up a, a system which discourages Romans. You, you can't you can't get rid of them. It, you know, yeah, the, yeah. It, it's a bit like having a burglar alarm. <clears throat> if somebody wants to break into your house, they will do so. If you've got a burglar alarm, they might go next door. So you know, in, in the case of, of football, if, if by having this extra layer of security for the industry, they might say, well, you know, I'll go and take over another business, which is a bit lower profile. And I'm not saying that that's, that's right, but you know, football does have that different emotional investment, as we've always said from day one. The problem is, Kieran, and I I've 100% agree with you on, on the need for an independent regulator, but in situations like this, it, 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 unless the regulator heads it off at the pass, so to speak, once it gets this bad, it's hard to see what a regulator can do to prevent it other than stand back and go and say, this is terrible. So, yeah, the idea, hopefully, if there'd been a regulator three years ago, this would, the club wouldn't have got into that situation is the, is the plan and the hope, isn't it? That, that's right. You know, if we have a system in which when you buy a club, you have to put down a deposit, which goes into a central fund, which, which effectively buys time. And, and, and you know, cert- certainly as somebody that's worked in the insolvency profession, time is a huge potential asset. It allows you to negotiate. It allows you to come to agreements. It allows you to, to market the business. Um, and, and that can be precious. That can be the difference between going into uh, you know, a meeting with a group of employees who you've tried to persuade and cajole and, uh, you know, Keep on keep keep their spirits up. It's the difference between being able to go in and say, "I've got really good news for you," or go in with two or three colleagues who are specialists in handling redundancy and saying, "I've got some. I'm very very sorry, but mm. um, we've been unable to sell the business." This next story, Kieran, is one that's close to home for me. I I, mm. I tweeted we we mentioned on the questions pod that we did on Monday that we would be looking into this, um, and I tweeted. 
saying that any Palace fans who are worried about this situation, we will be discussing it. And I got an enormous number of people in response saying, yes, they are worried. Um, uh, the relationship between the four main investors at Palace, Steve Parrish, uh, Harrison Blitzer and John Texter, is <laughs> murky, to use one of your mm. words, Kieran. It's very difficult to see what and how they, they work together. But the, this this news from one of John Texter's other investments is one that's got Palace fans actually quite worried about his future investment in our club. Yes, um, this is an announcement by uh, uh, Sujeu, uh the uh, regulatory body, uh, as far as French football is concerned, um, in respect of John Texter's uh, investment in uh, OL, Olympic Lyonnais. Yeah. And... Under the rules of French football, what you have to do is before the start of the season, you have to present to the the bean counters a balanced budget, i.e. you've got to show that there is sufficient money coming into the club to allow it to pay all of the expected costs. And, and they go, you know, the accountants go away and the, and the, the regulators go away and they say, well, yeah, yeah, this this looks reasonable. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're, they're not mugs. They're, yeah, and anybody can make up numbers in a spreadsheet. But the, these people have got experience. They've got the history of the club in terms of its finances and so on. And, and what appears to be the case here is that uh, the, the the regulatory body has has taken a look at the figures presented to them by John Texter and says, well, based on the figures that you've given to us, you've got approximately a 60 million euro shortfall. And we want you to make up that shortfall by the 30th of June. Crikey. And so so that's, yeah, that's a case of, you know, you need need to get arses into gear. Now, I, I don't know a huge amount about John Texter's personal finances, and, and neither do you, and neither should we. You know, ultimately, it's a personal issue. Um, I suspect he's one of these people who is asset rich and cash poor. So finding sixty million euro um, over the course of the next couple of weeks is going to be a challenge for him. I'm not saying it's impossible. He, he could sell us some some of his existing assets. Um, he could even sell off one of his other football clubs, not necessarily. Crystal Palace because he's got uh, he's got an investment in Botafogo, but I don't think he gets sixty million pounds back for that. Um, what else could he do? Um, you know, apart from putting the money in himself, well, he could sell players, and if that is the case, then again, it's it's a way of dealing with. But have they got sixty million euros worth of players to sell? And also, now that this information is out in the public domain. It's going to be a buyer's market rather than a seller's market. So if you've got a 25 million euro centre forward, you get offers of 15 because people know that you need to sell within the course of the next 10 days. Where does this leave his relationship with Crystal Palace? Well, again, a lot of uncertainty. I think you're absolutely right that um, at board level, it is beneficial to have everybody rowing in the same direction. You've only got to look at um, succession to see what happens when you've got three or four uh, large egos who are in it for self-interest rather than the, the benefit of the organisation as a whole um, to see how things can can start to fall apart. Now, I appreciate that that programme is fiction, but um, it is based on reality, and I think most people know where that reality originally comes from. Mm. So uh, from, from a Crystal Palace's fans' point of view, um, Palace's finances are – are perfectly okay. 
yeah, let let's let's put that to bed. Yeah, they're not desperate for cash, um, but uh, it, it is a summer transfer window, uh, which we are now in. Um, you are often looking, or fans are often looking for owners to to make a statement, you know, either with a purchase or an announcement of an equity investment. Um, I, I honestly don't think that there was going to be uh, money being pumped in by any of the owners over the course of this summer. Um, I, I suspect Steve Parish again doesn't have physical cash. Uh, the, the Harrison Blitzer. I think they're looking for an exit route, but they're trying to make sure that they do that on a profitable basis. John Textor, difficult to work out. Um, but if he cannot find 60 million euro to invest in Olympic Lyonnais, then he ain't going to be putting money into Crystal Palace. Um, he could have overstretched himself by buying too many clubs in too short a period of time. Um, I'm sure from Crystal Palace's fans' perspective, you want Palace to be the mothership as far as his portfolio of sporting investments are concerned. And again, you know, we don't know that to be the case. But uh, he's he's got to find the money quickly. It's going to be a challenge. I'm Steve Lamack and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights Stuart Dredge on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode we discuss the very latest goings on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. The problem is, Kieran, that Palace is not his to sell because... The other three owners between them own more shares than he does, as far as I understand. So we have this strange notion of a multi-club model where one of the clubs in his multi-club model isn't actually his club, which is which is bizarre. And it, you you say it's not our business to know about his finances, but it kind of it, it is if it affects our club in a way. And the, the, I mean, the rumours were when he first uh, invested that he was richer than all the, the other owners put mm. together, which is – and he, his money apparently has been made out of holograms and, and future technology. But it, it's a strange one. But, it, it, again, it plays into the conspiracy theories thing because we've, we've yet to announce who our new manager is. We've yet to resolve the Wilf Zahar situation. So people say, well, maybe we can't get a new manager until we resolve the Wilf Zahar situation. And then people say, well, maybe we can't resolve the Wilf Zahar situation until we resolve – the John Texter situation. And the, the, the nature of this pod is it's it's wonderful to hear you say that Palace's finances are okay, but we've learned in the two and a half, three years we've been doing it that there's, there's often quite a short journey between okay and worrying. Yes, yes. Um, look, Crystal Palace are a Premier League club. They've got saleable inventory. Um, you, know, you know which players would be attractive to other clubs if they needed to, to, if, if they needed to sell. So that there is no... Uh, th- there is no cause for concern with regards to the club's continuing trading or, or anything 
uh, anything like that. So, so I think we put that particular story to bed. But of course, as, as fans, we always want to expand. We want to grow. Um, there, there's uncertainty. And I, I've been on quite a few Manchester United podcasts uh, and saying effectively along the same th- along the same lines is you, you can't expect the club or the the chief executive to to sanction spending when you don't actually know what the budget's going to be with any degree of certainty when you know John Texter could sell his shares for yep. example yeah, yeah. in Crystal Palace and use that money to to uh, help help the situation in France but if that is the case well to whom is he going to sell the shares you know what what's that person's wealth it 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 starts to uh, become a bit of a minestrone yeah You've cheered me up a little bit there, Kieran. You know, you know what cheered me up even more? Home game against Luton, first day of the season. That would really, but that was never going to happen, Kieran. Premier League were never going to allow that. Um, we mentioned Gary Neville once already, but th- what you're talking about this rule in uh, French football that you have to show that your books balance before you start the season—that that's pretty much something that Gary Neville has been arguing about for a couple of seasons. The money, money up front, he calls it. He thinks all club owners in English football should show they have money up front before they start the season, doesn't it? Yes, and and there's uh, a lot to be said for that. In order for that to be the case, it would require a vote by club owners. And there's an element Uh, of turkeys voting for Christmas here. Yeah, of course. Um, uh, Because they would do it – I can see the vote not being successful for two reasons – a, some of the owners physically might not have that cash, or you know, it, or it's, it could be a rule which is brought in over a three or five year period. And B, you and I both know, having done this show for a few years, that currently there's twenty twenty five clubs potentially up for sale. And but what I mean by potentially up for sale is, if it, it, it's not got a for sale sign on it, but if anybody approaches. You'd listen. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah it's, the, it's the same with property. Yeah, I'm, I'm not necessarily looking to move house, but if somebody walks up the drive and say, "I'm going to offer you a, a pretty damn good deal," think about it. I'll think about it. Whereas if it's my dream home, I'd say, "You know, get stuffed." Or you know, if, if somebody offers me you know, a million pounds for Finley, again, get stuffed. Yeah, it's five. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he has got a price in. <laughs> I would kill every him. man, every man, and man for all seasons revealed that. Sure, yeah, that's true. Fair point. Um, uh, look it up, everybody. Uh, uh, don't start me on Henry VIII, Kieran. You know what happens. You're going to have trouble selling your home, Kieran. It's got bee stains all over the outside and a burnt, yes. out, a burnt out barbecue in the garden. Um, this next story, Kieran, about agents and the FA and FIFA is one that you predicted would happen. Yes. Um, and again, I've got, I've got to be... I can now be a bit more transparent. Um, a few weeks ago, um, one of the organisations which represents football agents effectively took FIFA to an arbitration hearing, hearing in Lausanne in Switzerland um, with a view to say that the proposed changes to rules brought in uh, being brought in by FIFA with regards to capping agents' fees was unlawful, unfair, and should be resisted. And for the sake of complete transparency, I was an expert witness uh, at that particular hearing um, on behalf of the agents. I wasn't paid by them. You know, I I did it on a a pro bono basis. basis. Um, 
uh, and I'm not anti-FIFA or pro-FIFA or pro-agent. I was just there to give you know, hard data. Kieran, 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 you, you can say you're not anti-FIFA. You are quite anti-FIFA. Spe- no, I'm, I'm anti- to, yeah, you're, anti, you're anti the people who didn't pay you for that FIFA gig, Kieran. That's why you were happy to, to do this for the lawyers for nothing, because you wanted to bring that particular person down. It's pretty, let's, let's be honest about these things, Kieran. You, you say I'm bear, I bear a grudge, Kieran. <laughs> um, so what, what we now have, and I think this is on, on a much uh, lower level, but we've got... Um, this isn't coming from sort of the the agents' trade union as such. This is a case which has been launched by four or of the bigger uh, agency organisations, the likes of Wasserman and Stella, um, and they are saying, you know, this is anti-competitive. Uh, there's there's a ten percent limit on transfer fees. There's a six percent limit in terms of player wages as to what an agent can can claim um and they say look surely this should be between agent and client Mm. um some agents do an awful lot of work for their client and and um yeah i i I do know football agents and just like estate agents and just like accountants and just like you know people that you know in the entertainment industry there's good people and there's bad people and there's people that charge a lot of money and do an awful lot of work for that money and and then there's people that that take the mickey um so you know what what the FA uh, are trying to do is is to bring in these set of rules. Um, I think that those fee caps are due to kick in on the first of October. So what the agents are doing is say, look, we want to go to we want to go to mediation mm-hmm. first of all. Um, and as our good friend Nick Namarco has always said, you know, mediation's far better than litigation. It's quicker and it's cheaper. Mm. Um, but we'll await this one. Um, with interest, and yeah, I, I genuinely don't think that agents are the big bad wolves of football as they are made out to be. Lots of people will point to the the, the Minot-Rayola deal, which brought Paul Pogba to uh, Manchester United from Juventus, and I think he ended up making up around about forty two million. It was it was an amazing deal for him. But that is very much the exception. And there's easily ways around that without going for the somewhat sledgehammer and nut combination that we have in, in opposing limits. Um, there's, there's not limits if you if you uh, have a, uh, a work of art that you take to auction, you, know, you negotiate with the auctioneer, the fees. Why, why should that be the case um, for, a, for a specific industry? In, there's, there's, there's no cap in golf. In cricket, mm. yeah, we've got the IPL, in boxing. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that there shouldn't be protection for sports people. Um, that, that's a completely separate issue. But I don't see why football should be singled out. I, you're absolutely right about agents, Kieran. So I've met some very uh, decent people who are agents. But PR-wise, there aren't that many people that would agree with you. I mean, older listeners going right back to somebody like Eric Hall, for example, who... Uh, became a spitting image puppet because he was such a sort of grotesque cliche of a football agent. He almost invented that cliche himself, didn't he, with the the monster monster and yes, the cigar. Yes. And it, it's he, uh, he he recognised that football was coming out of an era of terrible unpopularity, and and he made sure that footballers got their fair share of the money, which which is absolutely fine. But he he did it in a way that I don't think did agents many favours for thirty years. 
to come. Can I can I ask you, Kieran, are you legally able to tell us what sort of insight you were asked to give on behalf of agents? Um, I, I was asked to do an analysis of um, agents' fees um, in in different divisions in football. Um, I, I work that out as a proportion of revenue, as a proportion of transfer fees, as a proportion of wages, um, to show that when you do take this into account, um, especially um, for those players who have come through academies, for example, so therefore there is no transfer fee. So, so how you know if I, if I'm representing Phil Foden, how do I charge Manchester City a fee? If I'm, you know, negotiating a new uh, a new contract on his behalf, and the clubs approach me to say, yeah, look, yeah, we're a bit worried about Phil. Could you have a word with him? Um, because there is no transfer fee, so mm. you know that there are there are practical issues which I think some of the regulators have ignored simply because, as you were saying, yeah, the likes of Eric Hall have created this perception of agents as being the the wrong ones in football um there, there are bad people in all professions there are good people in all professions they they are not as they are painted to be and that's that's one thing that that i learned because i i, I went in with uh, either unintended prejudice or or intended prejudice when mm. i when i started to research for the first book um and it was only through talking to chief executives of clubs talking to players and then, then i realized I've never heard agents uh, being bad mouthed by their clients, and you would think, you know, that the, yeah. there's lots of angry people in the media about football agents, but I'm not hearing it from the players. And you know, you know football players, you know, you've you've worked with them in in uh, in your field of, of expertise, and and I've got to know a few as well. No grumbles. Yeah, I uh, I'm quite touched, Kieran. I didn't realise I had a field of expertise, but um. I've got a garden. Um, this this took place or is taking place in Lausanne, Kieran, his first hearing, uh, I imagine, in perfect English, despite the nationalities of all the people involved. Do we know when an outcome is expected? Well, for the for the FIFA case, it, it's all it's all now gone very quiet. Right. Um there, there were a lot of um there were a very lot of very learned people there and some bloke in a Joy Division t shirt. Um <laughs> Not even a Price of Football T-shirt. Well, I should, no, I should have should have brought it actually. You yeah, could, we've got a lost price opportunity of, there. We got a Price of Football shirt, Kieran. You could have worn that, but yeah. I, I'd I'd like to think a couple of those Swiss judges would have gone. Oh, check out the cool English guy in the uh, Unknown <laughs> Pleasures T-shirt. Uh, now, Kieran, those of us who who love history will know that the city of Oxford uh, played an integral part in the English Civil War. It's where King Charles raised his standard to start that war. Don't get me in, involved in the reasons for that war, but uh, Oxford was his, the royal headquarters throughout the first English civil war. And the football club, Kieran, uh, there's another civil war going on in Oxford, isn't there? Yes, there is. Um, for people not familiar with the history of where Oxford United have played matches, um, they, they used to play at the Manor Ground. Terrible um, ground. Loved it, absolutely! What a shithole that was! But I really liked it. I miss it. <laughs> I only went there once. Saw us lose one 0 John Aldridge scored the winner. Uh, that was about nineteen eighty-five, six, I think it wow, was. It's certainly a long time ago. That, what, a crack, um, what a cracking team that Oxford had at the time. Oh yeah, yeah they, they 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 were they were superb. Yeah. Um, 
But um, they they then moved to the Kassam Stadium, but that has a license which expires in 2026. So oh, okay. they, they need to get a move on or they need to get that license renewed. Um, so what they've applied to do is to build a new stadium with a 16,000 capacity. Um, it's going to cost around about £100 million. And it's going to be um, built on land, which is called the Triangle, which is currently owned by the local council. So therefore, there has to be approval. Um, and you know, I'm I'm a great believer in, in the power of democracy, in uh, engaging with people with views that you don't necessarily share, but listening to their point of view because I, I'm not that arrogant to think that I'm I'm right half the time, let alone all of the time. And you're a, you're, um, you're a grown up, Kieran. <laughs> That's I'm not so sure my wife would agree with you there. Oh yeah, fair point. Um, <laughs> but. Um, what appears to have been the case is that the, the council have said that comments by local councillors can only be made by the leader or the, the head of finance, in effect, and uh, individual local councillors should not be expressing views either for or against um, this, new, this new project. Um, and they should even go as far as avoid liking things on social media. Oh, wow. Um, and, and it just seems to me that that's not the best way to go about things because some people might have some very valid points which they could bring into the public domain. Um, there are both positives and negatives about having a new football ground. Um, as somebody that was uh, at the very, very periphery of the, the battle to get a, a new football ground for Brighton Hove Albion, um, I, I, I delivered a uh, I, I delivered a very large Valentine's card to John Prescott in Hull on the fourteenth of on the fourteenth of February. I think that was uh, two thousand and about two thousand and five uh, with with a group of fans um, and, and you know petitions and and uh, other bits and pieces and you know signing and raising profile. And one thing which always makes me felt slightly uncomfortable is that the people who oppose the football ground, they they should not be shouted down. Their voices should be heard um, because they, there is some validity and also there is the opportunity to make compromises and improvements. By, by not allowing the councillors to express their views, and, and this isn't a dictat, it's a sort of a a persuasive. You know, mm. we, we would rather you keep your mouth shut. Ultimately, we, we can't stop you from talking, but we can make life probably a bit awkward for you. I, I'm just not sure of the benefits that the people in charge of the local council are making here. It would be absolutely great, you know, from my point of view as, as a fan of football, um, if this goes ahead, bigger stadium, more jobs being created. I think there's some ancillary benefits as well. Um, you know, th- I think there's lots of positives but that doesn't mean you should ignore dissenting voices. Yeah, Kit, remind me who else was on the periphery of your move to a new ground, Kieran, who's yet to receive uh, reimbursement <laughs> for his ticket from East Croydon to Brighton <laughs> and back. Um, I, I'm surprised. I mean, I know it's, it must be, I think, 1986 was the last time Palace would have played at the Manor Ground, I think. So it's probably been 30 years or more since Oxford had been at the new ground. But... It still seems only a short amount of time for a license to have run out already. 
doesn't it? Was was the lease only taken out for a short time? Why is it such? Uh, well, yeah, I, I've not investigated that. I'm, I must put all my right, hands okay. up there. Um, it could be that I, I think there's issues with the ground itself. I think it's only got three sides or something yes, like that. Still, yeah. Um, and uh, there's there's been a bit of bifters uh, between owners and uh, and council, um, right. which which might have limited the uh, the extent of the license. Okay. Um, Regular listeners, Kieran, or listeners from the start of our pod, will know in what high regard you held Burnley as a, mm. a very well-run professional club. It, it increasingly it looks like less so, Kieran, doesn't it? Well, I'm, I'm not saying less so because I'm still a believer that debt used correctly um can be of benefit uh, for a football club and, and i think that spurs for example um are a very good example from a pure business point of view and i've always said that, that in my view as as a somebody running a business you know, I'd, I'd give uh, daniel levy an a or an a star if i was grading his work as a football club owner yeah probably less so but um in, in the case of burnley burnley always made a profit under the old owners when they were in the Premier League. They never had to um, take money out of the club. They never had to put money into the club. It ran ran itself extremely well. Um, Since the new owners have come in um, uh, under Alan Pace, they have taken a a, a riskier approach. Now, those risks have worked. You know, they they, yep, they bought them, superbly. Yeah. They recruited in Vincent Company, a superb manager. They paid played absolutely fantastic football. Um, but they have now taken out or renewed for the sixth time, and they've only been at the club for a couple of years. Um, it what looks to appears to be an advance from Macquarie. Now Macquarie are the sort of one of the specialist lenders, along with MSD Holdings, that we often refer to. Um, and, and what they're doing here is that they're giving the equivalent of a payday loan in the sense that uh, Macquarie have advanced money to Burnley Football Club, which is secured against the future Premier League TV receipts and also parachute payments over the course of the next few years. Um, there's there's nothing wrong with that until something goes wrong with that. It's, it's, it's sort of one of those situations. Um, yeah, we've we've seen with West Bromwich Albion, for example, they borrowed from MSD Holdings. Um, I think they were hoping to go straight back up to the the Premier League or go up to the Premier League very very quickly. That's not manifested, and now they've got a situation where they're paying fourteen percent interest on a loan of twenty million pounds, and you're thinking, well, where are they going to get the twenty million pounds to repay that loan? So um, I, I'm not I'm not overly concerned about this. Uh, I'll be honest. I'm not a huge fan of Macquarie, um, but that's partly due to the fact that I live in the southeast of England and Macquarie are uh, big owners of the local water company uh, who, okay. who yesterday um, on 15, in 15 separate, separate areas of uh, the, the south coast were pumping out raw sewage um, to such an extent that the beaches had to be uh, given red flags. And for an organisation which has got zero ethical or moral compass I, I sort of personally loathe them so as you say i bear a grudge uh, against yeah. some organizations and they're one of them well I, I think i think it's all right to bear a grudge against a company pumping shit onto your beach kieran isn't it really if it's any if it's any consolation kieran um all around the coast it's, it's not just it's not just you 
It's, yeah, that's, that's no consolation, is it? That it's happening all around the country. Um, the, the big issue, of course, if you're a Burnley fan, you, you talk about securing a loan on future Premier League payments. If that future Premier League stay only lasts for a season, is that a worry? Um, it depends upon the amount of the loan, and, right. and, we, and we don't know that. Um, it then depends upon the the, the conditions uh, upon relegation. You know, Burnley had to accelerate their repayments to Macquarie when they were relegated at the end of last season. They they both managed to do that and recruit players who uh, played football of a sufficient calibre to get them back to the Premier League. All I would say, it, it increases risk. You, know, you, you can be playing blackjack and you can twist on 19 and you can get a one or a two and you can win the hand. Can you do that? Can you do that time after time? Probability tells us not. So, if they managed to pay it back last time they were relegated, does that imply that the loan was considerably less than the parachute payment? Then, yeah, I think I think there, the loan was around about sixty-five million. Right. Okay. So, um, so yes, and yeah. they they had to repay. 25 million in the first year and 25 million in the second year and and so on. All right. Um two stories about Chelsea Kieran which are both slightly odd in their own different way. Yeah and I'm and I'm going to combine these two yeah. because I think there is a there is a link and here I'm going to go conspiracy theorists. Oh. Uh, the, the first of which is that there were claims that Chelsea were in discussions with the uh, TV channel Paramount Plus, which is one of these you know, streaming uh, organisations, to be the front of shirt sponsor. Um, and then the story was released, yeah, Chelsea were going to do it, but uh, the Premier League said no. And the Premier League said no because you'll upset Sky, right. um, who are our senior broadcast partner. And I'm going, well, just, let's, just, let's just unravel that a bit. What, why should Sky be that bothered because Paramount Plus don't do Premier League football. No, films, isn't it? Uh, yeah, so they, they do films and series and uh, you know, bits of fiction and so on. And, and um, so, this is Paramount Plus who sponsored um, Intershirts in the Champions League final as well, wasn't it? That, that's right. So yes. yeah, that, that was the second point. You know, if, if they're able to uh, give be a front-of-shirt sponsor for an Italian football club – whose match in the Champions League final would have been broadcast by a broadcaster. Yeah. And the Italian football authorities didn't have any uh, objections. Why Why is the Premier League objecting to this? So, so yeah, so just, just leave that hanging in the air. Now, if I was trying to bring out a bit of news that I was slightly ashamed about, what I would do is say, well, I was going to do something better. But I've had to go and resort to this because because him, you know, that lot won't let me do the decent thing. Right. So what we now see is uh, there are talks that Chelsea are going to have a front of shirt deal with Stake.com. Right. Now, Stake.com um, have got front of shirt deals with Everton yeah. and they've got front of shirt deals with Watford. There's been objections from fans of both of those clubs. They have been quite lucrative deals. Um, for those people who are unfamiliar with Stake.com, uh, Stake.com um, are an online casino, but not just any casino, Kevin, a crypto casino. They're, ah. they're based, based in the Netherlands and Tilly's or uh, Caracol, 
as it is, I think, more commonly known. Um, and they were involved in a promotion with Everton um, at the start of last season. I think when Everton won a match in the uh, in the in the Carabao Cup, which then had to be withdrawn, it was it, it just looked a bit tawdry and messy. Um, so that they have been quite successful. They tend to uh, partner up with with a few celebs and so on. And you've got. I think it, I think it's with Drake. I'm, I'm not I'm not sure the, the exact name of the celebrity who who was seen uh, you, know, with, uh, you know gambling with their crypto coin and winning money and everybody's going wow yeah, this yeah, is yeah. the way forward and so on yeah and and using celebrity to en- to endorse products is is part of part of the deal of being a celebrity um, for you know if when when you're at you know the, the level of uh, influence that somebody such as Drake would have um, yet. Yeah, but the cynic in me says, "Is okay." the The Paramount story went out first, so people say, "Oh God, you know, Chelsea haven't got a front of shirt deal. Where are they going to go next?" And then, oh, it's it's stake. It's not very good, but I guess you know, as we couldn't get Paramount, we'd do this. Uh, I mean, to be fair to uh, Chelsea supporters groups, they've said we don't want to go down this route. You know, it, we 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 hold Chelsea to higher account mm. than that. Um, and I'll, we, we we wait to see um, you know, whether this will, will this this will develop into a, a deal which is signed off, and I'm sure the club will say, well, yeah, offered us more money than anybody else. We're not in the Champions League. We're not on the Europa League. We're not on the Europa Conference. If it's forty million quid, it's a fantastic deal. Uh, but it just it it, it absolutely stinks really in the sense that the Premier League has made such a fuss of you know in a couple of years we're getting rid of uh gambling sponsors yeah. and here we've got one of our existing members who's going from a telephone company to a gambling sponsor because though those new rules don't kick in until 26 27 and the Premier League easily if it had really wanted to to say we will allow existing deals with sponsors who are from the gambling industry to expire. We're not going to encourage breach of contract, but we're not going to have any new deals from next season. Pronunciation-wise, Kieran, I'm going to throw Curacao into the mix. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, Only because I, I drink and you don't. And it's uh, yes. it's a very valuable ingredient in many cocktails, uh, and also I don't want our listeners getting trying to phonetically spell it as they correct both of us in tweets. It's just it's a strange story. It, it, sponsorship has reached a stage here, and where where supporters get quite um, proprietorial, some of them towards the brand that uh, advertises on their shirts, and I know. You know, Palace fans a couple of times have shared sponsors with other clubs in the Premier League, and you don't, you don't like it. And, mm. we, and this is not a, any sort of veiled criticism of, of either Everton or Watford, but I can imagine that there are many Chelsea fans who, as you say, use the word "hold to account." That you expect, I don't know, more quality from Chelsea's front of shirt sponsor. And I know it, it reflects where they actually are in the league, but also the other big question, Kieran, is how much a stake worth. If they can afford to sponsor two Premier League clubs and a fairly high-ranking Championship club, yeah, they they do seem to be doing very well, um, and and the reason for that is that um, online casinos are a license to print money because right, right, you know, yeah. the house always wins, 
But if we take a look at sports betting, the margins in the football market, the margins in the cricket market, uh, even the margins in horse racing, the margins are actually quite low because you've got so many uh, bookmakers competing against your pound on the next race, the next match, or whatever it is. So therefore, you've you've got to offer very competitive odds. Once you've got people into the environment of a, of a casino, whether it's a crypto casino or not, you've you've effectively got them in your house, and and you can take their trousers down. Um, and um, uh, I, don't, I probably need to rephrase that, but I won't. Um, <laughs> It always comes back to somebody taking their trousers down in your house, Kieran, doesn't it? (laughs) Let's move on, Kieran, to a club we rarely mention, Um, Stevenage FC. Yes. um, First of all, congratulations to Stevenage FC. They've been promoted from League Two to League One, and they'll be playing against clubs of the size of uh, Derby County and Portsmouth and Charlton yeah. and and, and uh, yeah, Wigan and Reading. Yeah, we already mentioned. Um, it's it, it's a pretty tough division. Um, we've seen our friend Andy Holt get Accrington Stanley as high as League One, and yeah, we we spoke to Andy when when we went up to Accrington to to do a live show, and he says, you know, it's it's just really tough because you know the the, the the margins and the budgets that you have are a fraction of those of some of the bigger clubs. Well, it's exactly the same here for Stevenage. Um, so what the, the club owner, Phil Wallace, has said, um, yeah, I've been putting money into this club for, for 25, 24 years. Um, I own 95% of it. I, I've, I've, I've looked at the accounts of Stevenage, and I've got to say they are run superbly well. Oh, okay. yeah, they are one of the few clubs that break even year in, year out, don't live beyond their means. Um, but what the owner has said is, I want to give Steve Evans as much assistance as I can. There's a limit to what I can do. I'm willing to sell up to 15% of the club, and we will ring fence a proportion of that to help as far as the budget is concerned. So if anybody is interested, and we are not paid by Stevenage Football Club, go to the club website. I think there's a I think it's a, a, an email address. I think it's you know, investor at stevenagefc.com or something like that. I can't remember what it is. Um, and uh, you know, they they will listen to whatever your proposals happen to be. But you know, as a club, I think they've got a lot going for them. You know, it's, what, 20 minutes from London. Um, it's uh, you know, a ni- nice little stadium. Um, they were sponsored by Burger King, which I always found highly sure. amusing. Um, and uh, you know they, they've also done extremely well to get promoted, having had a couple of rough seasons at the the wrong end of League yeah. Two um, uh, previously. Yeah, apropos of uh, Accrington, the um, revolutionary communist lady from Wigan that we were staying with last night, uh, who is a, a lady of a certain age, um, who doesn't let that stop her drinking fine white wine till about I think mean, it's about half past three in the morning. But she happened to mention, I, we weren't talking about, but she happened to mention an artist friend of hers who had um, done some uh, paintings of Accrington Stanley's ground. Oh, wow. And she said he was hoping to do a portrait of the Accrington Stanley owner. I was like, well, good luck getting him to sit still for three hours. <laughs> <laughs> and also it might be an idea to put the headphones in and not mention Gary Neville. Um, yes. <laughs> our last two stories, Kieran, um, about two Premier League teams, and there's a Sort of Man City link in both of them. We saw the chairman of Man City say yesterday, 
um, to the fans that he expected the legal proceedings over the 109 charges or whatever it is to take uh, many years. But when they were when they were uh, finished, he had lots of things to say about why they were taken. But we've seen that Everton's alleged breach of financial fair play rules are going to be heard much quicker. Yes, uh, a, a date has been set uh, as far as the Independent Commission is concerned, and it's been penciled in. And these things are always penciled in because it could yeah. be that uh, the people on the Commission can't make it on the actual day for Wednesday, the 25th of October. Right. So clearly, you know, I think we all we all realised that nothing was going to happen before the start of the 23-24 season. Um, I think those Leicester fans who were clinging on to uh, the hope that uh, you know, the situation could be reversed and they would escape relegation were probably even in their own hearts, yeah. uh, knowing that it wasn't going to be realistic. But um, from from what you know, our latest understanding is, and you know, again, we're, we're we're reliant upon journalists and stories um, in in the media, is that this um, this this claim by the or charge by the Premier League is linked to. Um, something to do with the new stadium and, and cost there, which have been part of the FFP calculation. Um, so, so we await. So, that, so that's quite a, a narrow focus, mm. and that means that if there's effectively one charge, there's one defence. You allow both parties to get things together, and that's why um, we could have this done and dusted ideally by October. In the case of Manchester City, yes, there's 115 charges. Um, but uh, as one of my lawyers uh, did point out to me, Kieran, for every charge, there's a separate defence. Mm. So you've got 115 defences to put together. Um, and that's why you know, I was on a panel with uh, with Nick DeMarco. He said two to four years, he wouldn't be surprised at all wow. um, as far as the, the Manchester City case was concerned. Uh, to keep the conspiracy theorists happy, Kieran, this uh, October date for the Everton hearing, is that... Uh, in your experience, is that rather quick or is that quite slow? No, I, I, th- I think that's probably par for the course. Right, okay. um, I, I don't know where the stories come from, but it, it's certainly been on a, a number of uh, you know, fairly high-ranking websites. So, uh, yeah, we'd have to take it, but uh, it's it's already in my diary. Um, for people wondering when the... Uh, when the conclusion will be announced, it will be approximately five minutes after we record the show on <laughs> Wednesday, the 25th of October. Yeah, talking of conspiracy theories, I'm starting to get paranoid. There's a lot of stories breaking, literally <laughs> three. How on earth somebody – there's a snitch amongst us, Kieran. It's not you or me, so that leaves – no wonder. Finley. No wonder. No, it's not – do you think that could be Finley's code? The squeaky, right. squeaky toy is a code for when we're going to finish. It's Morse. <laughs> they finished. I was thinking more like, where does the producer guy get the money for gold sofas? But anyway, um, <laughs> on the Man City story, some Man City fans are really not happy with the community shield, are they, Kieran? Yes, and I think you can understand why. Um, the Football Association initially announced that the community shield was going to take place, A, on a Sunday, yeah. and B, Kick off at five thirty p.m. So that means the match finishes at seven thirty p.m. You've then got to get from Wembley to Euston, Euston to Manchester, 
it ain't going to happen. So therefore, you're going to have to either go in a coach, you're going to have to drive, you're going to have to stay overnight in in London on the on the Sunday. And um, quite a few of the fan groups said, "Yeah, this this isn't. Yeah, let's be honest, this is not a major match. It's I think it's yeah. Manchester City's twenty third visit to Wembley in ten seasons, and they said we're not going to put up with it. So you know." There has been a big reaction. Um, one of the fan groups, which I think is called the 1894 group, has said, look, yeah, we call this the Community Shield. It used to be the Charity Shield. Um, you know, we are proud Mancunians. Um, but, you know, as, as somebody that, you know, I've lived in, I lived in Manchester for 40 years, um, you know, there, there are areas of social deprivation and poverty. They've said, instead of going to the game, guys, Let's give money to a food bank instead, and they yeah. started to to create an on. And I think that was that was good. And uh, yeah, a lot of people again use social media to say, "Why is the FA chosen five thirty? Because it's it's live on ITV." Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I know what ITV Sunday afternoon schedules are like. Yeah. yeah it's, not, it's not. It's not as if they're having to say, "Well, yeah, there's a there's a really, uh, yeah, there's a really good." Uh, uh, extended episode of Corrie or something or whatever we got, or or a rerun of a of Moonraker uh, for the 23rd time <laughs> um so so th- there's no reason why it couldn't have been shown earlier apart from well I don't one can only assume zero consideration for fans now to give the football association some credit um this this uh Dissent, this flack which has come from fans and has been picked up by Manchester Evening News, Radio Manchester, and so on in the in the northwest. And the the, the football association said, "Ah, oh, okay, we we have reconsidered. We we brought it forward to four o'clock. Um, okay, but but why not three? Yeah, you know, because that would allow you to a to get down to to London and b to get back. Uh, four o'clock, the match finishes at six. You, you're not going to get to Euston." You know, until half seven, um, you know, it's in terms of being able to catch the next train and get away from the ground and so on. It it just seems that the FA have done something broadly right and, and give them credit for doing so. Have to ask why. You have to question who made that original decision, what was the logic behind that, but that's a separate issue. But surely three o'clock would make far more sense. So um, I think... Uh, Manchester City, the, yeah, the likes of the 1894 group have said, yes, we welcome this, but you just appear to be sort of nudging towards a better decision. Uh, you know, football kicks off at three o'clock. We, we still have that legacy, that, yeah, yeah. that romantic notion of three o'clock. Wouldn't that be a fantastic way to start the football season itself? Even if it's not on a Saturday, at least you know something which is sacrosanct, something which you, know, you and I grew up with. You know, I, I went to my first match. It was three o'clock on a Saturday. I imagine the same was for you. The same was yep. true for for many many fans. Um, don't make things awkward. Well, also, why not make it at Villa Park? I mean, it's mm. you know fifty thousand is probably the natural crowd that would be attracted to a, a Community Shield game. I, I don't know. Travelling on a Sunday, I mean, it's bad enough for City and United fans getting to the FA Cup final with no trains. And also, the thing about the expense as well, and I've had this conversation with a lot of fans, you know, Chelsea fans, Arsenal fans, United fans, just because the club is rich, just because Man City as a club is rich, that doesn't mean the fans are. 
there's a spurious logic there, I think, from the FA and the Premier League that all, you know, Man City fans can, that most of them have bankrupted themselves getting to Istanbul. They haven't got spare money left to go down to, uh, to Wembley. And you're on a Sunday. We know what the trains are like on a Sunday. You're at the lap of the gods anyway. So yeah. just, just for one, just that one game, which is the community shield, which is the, you know, the, the game that, opens the season and raises money for charity. Surely you can have one game per season, Kieran, just one game where it's the fans that are most important. Because for the rest of the season, they're not. At the rest of the season, we're all at the mercy of the fixture computer, except you, of course, because it's uh, fixed in your favour. We know that. Yeah, I, doubt if, I doubt if you've got any away games this season, have you, Kieran? But, you know, but we're all at the mercy of the fixture computer. We could all be travelling to... Uh, you know, Palace fans could be travelling to Newcastle on a Wednesday evening and vice versa. So just have, just let us have one where the fans say, I tell you what, this would be the, be- the best kick-off time. This would be the best place to play it. That's, that's all we ask. One game out of 100 and whatever it is. It's not a lot to ask, is it, Kieran? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Here, here. Thanks to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution as well, that would be very kind of you. And you can do so by going to patreon.com slash price of football. And if you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at price of football.com. We shall be back on Monday with our usual question show. In the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, thank you, Kevin. And thank you to everybody who supported the show. Um, people at Patreon who who kindly donate money to, to help us uh, to help to help us going that's that's incredibly generous of you, especially in in, in what, are, what are very tough times. Um, there's another way that you can support the show, and that's to that's to go on your app and to give us a review. Uh, it, it helps in terms of algorithms. It helps in terms of charts. It helps us in terms of credibility when we're trying to persuade guests to come on the show. Um, you know, and as you've seen, you know, our guests are probably as diverse as yeah. as any uh, any podcast. You know, to get the head of Latvian football and, and the person who makes pies. Uh, that's that's part of this show, part of our ethos. Um, it, it doesn't matter what you write um, on the review. You could even say you would rather have the show presented by. Kevin Rowland of Dexy's Midnight Runners. And the reason why I mentioned Kevin Rowland was because I went back to where I was born oh, wow. uh, last uh, last Saturday because I, I went back to the Elephant and Castle. Wow. And uh, down the end of our road was where Dexy's Midnight Runners uh, filmed the video for Come On Eileen, wow, their number really? one song. So that, that is, that's my, uh, until until I met you, that was my celebrity link-up. Wow. Um uh, and uh, Kevin Rowland and and Yogi Bear because I was a huge Yogi Bear when I was living uh, in the Elephant and Castle as a kid. Yeah, well, uh, all I can say is if Kevin Rowland went anywhere near, uh, if Yogi Bear went anywhere near Kevin Rowland's picnic, there would be trouble. He was, he's <laughs> he's not a man. <laughs> Laughter didn't. Oh, I, I I met Kevin Rowland once. It, it, it wasn't a two way conversation. Shall we put it? Shall we put it that way? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> bye, everybody. <laughs> bye. The price of football.
that provides some photo ball.